Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Could you turn to someone around you and say good morning to them? We have not done that yet. Want to make sure that we are friendly? Yes? Ah, if you've never seen them before, or you think they have never been here before, never say, you know, is this your first Sunday? Because then they're going to say, well, I've been here a year. Where have you been? You know, kind of thing. But we are glad that you are here this morning. We're excited to go back and into the book of Acts this morning. Uh, I was gone last week. Travis did an amazing job. Today we're in uh, Acts chapter 16 together. And it's entitled The Man from Macedonia. And so I'm excited about that. I do want to give you a little correction, and it is my bad today, and I take full responsibility for that. In the, in the bulletin, uh, in under talking point one, it says Proverbs 6 and 9. That's actually Proverbs 16 and 9. If you want to know what Proverbs 6 and 9 says, it simply says this, that you wake up, oh, you sluggard, is what it says. Yes, yeah. Now, if that applies, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, that's, that's your word today, and that's wonderful, you know, and you say, well, that's a good thing for the nine o'clock service, but that's not what we're going to actually use, so it is actually Proverbs 16 and 9, you can make a little correction on that if you don't mind, but that was, that was actually my bad. So it's great to see you. Today, Acts chapter 16 together for a few moments. Today, we, we look into Paul's second missionary journey, and, and what I love about this second missionary journey, and I think this is sort of where Travis ended last week, that it begins in disagreement. And I, I, I think that is a very interesting thought to kind of ponder for just a moment. You know, but this narrative, uh, this narrative that we find in the book of Acts, both descriptive and prescriptive, that it, ends, it begins in disagreement. And what I love about this, Acts is about community and it's about unity. Yes, absolutely. And, and, but I love the humanity of it. Because here we have Paul, and he recruits Barnabas to go on this missionary journey with him. And, and then when Barnabas wants John Mark to come along in the journey, Paul says, eh, that's not happening, you know, that, that's not going to happen. And so when you read the words, when you read the words, you find that there's this heated disagreement. And so what happens is this, that Paul and Barnabas break up, is what they actually do. And they go sort of their separate ways for a while. And, and Paul chooses a new partner, and that is... Uh, Silas, and, and so they formed the band of Paul and Silas, you know, and we find them, they, they regularly appear in prison performances, as you're going to find out later on, yeah, and they do that, they're a great praise band together. So when I, when I read through this, and I thought about this for a moment, what I love about Acts is this, that it shows this and reminds us that God works in the middle of our humanity. He does. God works in the very midst of our humanity, that the advancement of the gospel doesn't stop just because we act like humans at times. Understand that, right? And that's a beautiful thing to really think about, that, oh, the gospel has to be, you know, to, to advance if we are only perfect and we're always walking in obedience. And that is not true because the reality is that our life is about His faithfulness, not our faithfulness. And that's why our salvation is based upon in His strength in our life, because in our weakness, He is made strong. And so I love that. And some of you are saying, well, boy, I'm sure glad that we don't have drama in our church like that between Paul and Silas. Can I tell you, who are you kidding you? Because where you had two or three gathered together in his name, you're going to have some drama. Isn't that true? Yes, that's exactly right. Because we are, we are absolutely very much human and very much flesh. So what we find here is Barnabas and John Mark are out. Timothy has been added to the team with that of Paul. And, and what is interesting is that Timothy 
shows up on the scene, and Timothy has a Jewish mother and a Greek father, so he has this mixed ethnicity, and it adds a whole different flavor to the team and what they're going to experience in the future, I believe. And so I want you to, to wrap your mind around it before we begin, that the enemy, might, the enemy of your life, Satan might say to you, just because you don't get everything right, that God cannot use you, that God cannot use you in community, that God cannot use you to further the gospel, that God cannot use you to disciple one another, that God cannot use you to guide each other, to speak truth into one another's life, just because you're not perfect. Can I tell you, look at this text and realize that is not true. God works beyond those things within our lives. And I am so thankful for that in my great state of imperfection. Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 1 this morning. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he circumcised him. I think that is so very interesting. You know, we prepare to go on an overseas trip by getting vaccinations. Timothy, well, you can figure it out, right? You know, he sort of gets the treatment right there. And, and there, there's a great reason why, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, because I, I believe it to be great, of great importance. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And I think what is really interesting, too, is Paul thinks he knows where he's going, but God actually has a very different plan for him. He does. And he said, but Mark, wait a minute. Why this teaching, or why this in the middle of this text? It almost seems to be somewhat out of line with what Luke is communicating in this, in this narrative. And it's not out of line at all, because what it shows us is this willingness in Timothy's part, because he's not forced to do this, but this willingness in Timothy's part to, that, to create community. It is. To make sure that there's no division among the brothers as, as he is in the state that he's currently in. Also, why? Because he understands Paul's ministry. And that when Paul goes to every town, what Paul always seeks out is the synagogue. Because that seems to be his hub of operation. And he begins to make relationships with people at the synagogue. And so he knows that. At his current state, he cannot go in the synagogue as he is. So he simply says that, well, it's what Paul kind of says later on. And, or in his teaching, he says that, that I will be all things to all men that I may win some. It's an amazing thought about community. It is. It's the purpose of, of what really Acts is all about. Verse, seven, verse 4 says, And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles then elders who were in Jerusalem about that of preaching grace, the gospel of grace. There's no cultural additives to that. And when you preach grace, when you don't add anything to grace, what we understand is this, and where you really focus on this multicultural unity, what we find is what happens in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they increased in numbers daily, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. I, I love these texts. They're so amazing about how God's speaks to us. Verse 7, and when they came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So they passed by Myasia, and they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we stopped for a moment. In all the years of reading this, 
that this just kind of came out to me through research and study. As I read this, I realized that all of a sudden, Luke, who is the writer of the book of Acts, as he's writing this from a third-person point, up to this point, he uses the word they, but all of a sudden, he uses the word we. And so he changes the first person. So what we realize in reading that and what we believe theologically is this, that now the team consists of four people. That of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke himself is one of those on this journey with him. It appears that way. And so they sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Boy, that's a great text. There is so much there. So here's a talking point for us this morning. God's good plan and Macedonia. That's our first. So what Paul does is this. He goes, first he goes east. He goes to this region of Galatia and Phrygia, and he goes there first. Then he goes north to Mycenae, and then God closes the door in both of those directions in his path. And so God calls them west to Macedonia. But what about, you say, Mark, you know, and my thinking was, what about all this wasted time that they simply are going to go east and they're going to go north when, when they didn't just go west to begin with? Because what about all this wasted time? And what I've realized over life in my journey with Christ is this, that the journey in my life is just as important as the destination. The journey is just as important as the destination in my life and your life because it's on the journey that you and I learn to hear the voice of God. It's on the journey in life that you and I really grow in our faith to hear and trust the voice of God within our life and trust God for the next steps of our life. It's the journey. So the journey is of great value in you and I. No, I just want God like paint this in the sky to me and tell me exactly where I'm going. And then I just make you know this trip from point A to point B. And God says, no, sometimes you're going to go to A and you're going to go to and you're going to go to C and you may go to D before you get to B but understand this that the journey is extremely important and some of you are there right now that you maybe feel unfulfilled where you are you think oh at some point you know I've stepped out of the will of God can I tell you the journey is important understand that that the journey is very important And so what I understand about this journey with Paul is the steps are not always clear. And in our life, the steps of our journey with God are not always clear as to what God has called us to do. I I, I thought about this of how to kind of illustrate this to you. It's like your child's first photo, you know. And I'm not talking about that photo that you want to show everybody like from the womb to the world kind of thing, you know. Have you ever had somebody do that? Hey, hey, you want to see the miracle of childbirth? No, I don't want to see that, right? No, keep that. That's wonderful. I want to see your kid when they're like six months old. I don't want to see that other photograph. But I'm talking about that, that strange, brown-hued, kind of fuzzy kind of image that's produced by ultrasound. And, and you know that image, that ultrasound image that you show of your child? It amazes moms and dads, but it amuses everybody else. You know why? Because we don't see what you see as mom and dad. We don't see that. You see it because you are the parent of that child, but everybody else doesn't see that. People have showed me those things before. They say, oh, there are his eyes, and I'm looking like, where, really? And there's his nose, and there is his little ear, and oh, you can see his face pushed up right against the uteral wall. And I like, wait a minute, I don't want to hear all that, you know? I, that's not what I want to hear. But first of all, how do you know it's a he? And then they take their finger and they oh, look, right there, there's his. And I'm thinking, dude, if your child, like when he's 12, knows that everybody's seen his, you know, thing right there, then it's going to scar that poor child. No, but I don't see it. But what do you usually say? <laughs> what do you usually say when people show you those things? They say, oh, there's his eyes. What do you usually say? 
Oh, yeah, exactly right. Oh, I, I see that. You lie. Exactly. It's exactly what you do. Yes. Oh, I see that. You don't see that. No, it just looks like a fog. You know, I don't see anything in there. No, absolutely not. And they see all these kinds of things. Why? Because they're the parent. They're the parent. And I thought about this. That God sees everything so very clear in our lives. He sees every step that we have taken and every step that we will take in the future. Why? Because he's the good father. He is our father. That he knows us so well and he knows our future that he has that plan for our life laid out. That very, very good plan for our life. It's Proverbs 16 and 9, which is the right text. And actually, we corrected it up here, so you're going to see the right text in a moment. It's Proverbs 16 9. It says, the heart of man plans his ways that, hey, I'm going to go here to Galatia or I'm going to go here to Mycenae. You know, I'm, I plan my own ways. And, and, but God works through that. But the Lord establishes his steps. The Holy Spirit. Spirit says, no, this is the direction I want you to go in. Paul, these are the steps that I want you to take, but you have learned to trust me through these other steps that you have taken in your journey. Yeah, you walk this way, you know, you have this plan in your life. The Holy Spirit loves you enough. God loves you enough to send the Holy Spirit to direct you and say, no, that's not the right direction. You go this direction. It's not always a voice. It's not, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit worked in this to simply send Paul in different directions. It doesn't tell us. So we, what, what we understand, how the Holy Spirit works in our life in many different ways. It's not always a voice, but it can work through circumstances and things in life and all those issues that we face in life that God can steer us in the right direction. I love that. But what about, what about all the wrong directions that Paul has taken? I mean, was he stepping out of the will of God by going to those places to get to where God had called him to go? And I would tell you, no, no, absolutely not. In, in my feeling, because what I realize is this, God opens doors and God closes doors. He does. God opens doors and God closes doors. And in that process, we learn to trust him. And I love it because God speaks to Paul right where he is in life. Paul is trusting him. And in every holy redirect in his life, his trust grows exponentially in Christ. And he guides him through this journey. You see, Paul's not sitting back in Lystra just waiting for God to write this in the sky, to send him an email, to drop a pin on his map app on his phone. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing, he's walking in obedience. And as he walks in obedience, which is the greatest act of faith of our life, as he walks in obedience, God speaks to him. I think that's an important point to make this morning. It is. Now, some of you are wondering why the wheelbarrow is on the stage. You're, you're kind of wondering, well, I can tell you. So I thought, well, how do I illustrate this? So I have an imagination, a very strange imagination, but I do have an imagination. I do. And so here it is. You have to go to this place with me, okay? Don't judge me yet, all right? Just, just hang on for a moment, all right? And, and know that, I mean, I haven't been hitting the sacraments before we come up here this morning, okay? When you hear what I'm going to say to you, so just, a, just hear this for a moment. So imagine with me that you're sitting in here, and all of a sudden the floor beneath where you're sitting becomes this bottomless pit of quicksand. Weird, isn't it? I know, but it's my imagination. Just trust me. Go with it, okay? And, and it becomes this bottomless pit of quicksand, 
and, and all of a sudden, that your pew that you begin to sit on is slowly sinking into the quicksand. And you're panicking. You have great fear that comes over. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to get out of this situation. And, and so all of a sudden, you look for help. And, and you look up and you look to the stage, not to me, but you look to the stage and there stands Jesus with a wheelbarrow. Now, I know it's weird, right? Isn't it strange? Yes. You're not going to find it in Scripture anywhere, so don't start looking, okay? And, and there stands Jesus with a wheelbarrow. And then all of a sudden, in my imagination, what Jesus does, that he fires this very thin cable from the stage to where you're sitting, the seat you're sitting. And then what Jesus does is this. He gets the wheelbarrow. He gets the handles behind him like this. And I know some of you are saying, but wait a minute, Jesus walks on water. Why can't he just walk on the sand? Listen, it's my imagination, not yours. So just stay out of it, okay? Kind of go with the story. And so he grabs this, and he does this tight wire kind of walk across that thin cable, and he walks out to where you are sitting on that seat, and he looks at you, and he says, get in. Now, I don't know if you have ever gotten in a wheelbarrow and had somebody else push you around. But for some reason, it is one of the most frightening things in life. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because you have no what? Control. Oh, we're on the same page. Because we have a bunch of control freaks in this room this morning. Isn't that right? Yes, yes, yes. Because you're not in control. And so I thought about this and God's plan for our lives and how this plays into this whole scenario of Paul's journey. Because I'm thinking if I were Paul, this is kind of the way I would think this morning. That when he says, get in, it's not that I doubt that God has a plan. That's not the doubt in my life. That's not it at all. Because I know enough theology and things of that nature, and all of you do in this room, or most of you do, to understand that God does have a plan. But where my struggle comes to is when he says, get into the wheelbarrow, because I'm not doubting he has a plan, but I'm doubting that his plan is good. That's what I'm doubting. I'm doubting his plan is good. And so what I'm going to say to God is, God, what do you think about going north? You know, maybe we should try to go that way first. Maybe, maybe there's another way to do this. Or, or what, what, if we go, what if we go east, God, maybe there's another way to do this. And what I realize about God and his plan for my life and your life is is that God already knows the outcome. And that outcome is Macedonia, and he says, get in. It's trust. It's trusting in who he is, that not only does he have a plan for your life, but he has a good plan for your life. And you may not see all the details of that out front, but you trust him that he already knows the outcome. Read the rest of the story because it, it goes very well with all of this. It's a, a powerful narrative. Verse 11, so setting sail for, for uh, Troas, he made a direct voyage to Samothese and, following, and the following day to uh, Neophilus. And I think that's all the hard words so far, okay? So it's good, right? We've got through those... Whew, 
can breathe. And from there to Philippi, or, or actually the pronunciation that is Philippi. But we, 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 I think in the South we say Philippi, but, we, but per, correctly it's Philippi, so that's exactly what it is, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days, and on the seventh day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. He's looking for a synagogue. It's what Paul always does. And, and we know from that of history that you have to have in a city 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. And so evidently there's not 10 Jewish men in this city. So they're sitting out by the river. And we sat down and we spoke to the women. They're looking for men from Macedonia, but they find themselves with a group of women in a worship service who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of, of purple goods, a wealthy woman who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and, and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The second thought is this. God always has a plan. Yes, we understand that. But it rarely turns out the way we thought it would. It is. You say, Mark, that's a justification for deism. That Jesus came, we understand that. He lived in this world. That he died on the cross, that he was buried in a borrowed tomb, that on the third day he rose, then he ascended to the Father. We understand all of that. But simply after that, life is just kind of what you make it. You kind of work your way through life, and Jesus will come back someday, and he will make everything right. And I, 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 you say, Mark, that's crazy. But I talk to so many believers uh, almost on a weekly basis who truly live that way and believe that way. Can I tell you something about the Lord this morning and that of his plan for our life, that God is, God is infinite and we are finite. I think we have to understand this relationship and where we are with him, that he knows everything, and we're limited to somewhat, as we always say, this three-inch understanding of life that's right in front of our face. That is it. And everything in life, everything in our life is absolutely measurable. It is completely measurable. With, with God, there is no beginning, and with God, there is no end. He is the only thing in this life that is self-defining. Only thing. If you go back to Exodus, which I love Exodus, and I loved our teaching in Exodus, we read this text, and it says in Exodus 3 and 14 that God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He is self-defining. You and I, we're always in this life going to be defined by something outside of us. We are. If you are a father, then you are a father because what defines you is you have children. If you are a husband, what defines you as a husband is that you have a wife. If you are a student, what defines you is that you are enrolled in some school somewhere. It's, it, we are defined by everything outside of our lives. It is. And so what happens is this, that we try to make God in our own image and we try to define God. And so we say things like, okay, if I were God, this is what I would do, you know? If I were God, then I would not use a wheelbarrow and a cable to get me out of the quicksand. I would not. I would come up with another way that I would send a helicopter is exactly what I would do, right? Yes, there's something else that I would do, but I would do it my way. And, And I think that we try to make God in our own image and then mold our lives around that. No. And so what God is doing here... What God is doing here with that of 
Paul and his missionary group is they've gone to Philippi. They, they've gone to Macedonia. They're gone where God is saying. They're looking for this man from Macedonia. We don't believe actually it, it, it means just a literal man. But I know that there had to be something other than what they thought was happening. And they find themselves sitting next to the river with a bunch of women worshiping because there's no synagogue. God, you have a plan. But it doesn't always work out the way that I think it should work out. No. God, this is, you know, if I would, Paul, I would have probably thought, this is not really the vision. You know, this is not lining up with the vision that you gave me. Absolutely not. No. That my first convert in Macedonia, in Philippi, is this convert, Lydia, a Gentile woman. But what is so powerful and how God uses that, and we're going to lay this out in just a moment. i got to get to that because if I don't get to that, then a lot of this doesn't really come together. But, but yet what I realize is so powerful because she is, this, she is this merchant. She is this leader in her community is what we could somewhat surmise. She leads her whole family. We understand that, and they all come to Christ. She's this powerful woman, a worshiper of God. And what I love about this is she doesn't need 10 men to have church. That's right. She doesn't need that. It's God's perfect plan. Why? Because if you understand anything about the geographics of this area, then Philippi, Philippi is known as the gateway to Europe. It is actually the very first European church ever planted, the Philippian church. It's the very first one. And so this journey that Paul goes on to Macedonia, this moment that he meets Lydia and she is his first convert in Europe, is such a powerful thought for you and I because my mind began to race about all of this. And where my mind went is this, that this journey of Paul to Macedonia that seems like, well, God has a plan, but it doesn't always work out the way I think it should. Oh, this, what does this do? This, This journey results in the Reformation, it results in that of Martin Luther writing the 95 Thesis, nailing it to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. This thing here, saying that simply that we are saved by faith alone, what this results in is of great leaders in the church and theologians like John Calvin, the Great Awakening in the early 1700s, Jonathan Edwards and others, John Wesley, Dwight Moody, Billy Sunday, and Billy Graham. And all of this comes from a woman sitting by a river in that of Philippi by the name of Lydia. What are you saying? Don't underestimate every conversation that you have. Don't do that. Don't underestimate every opportunity that God gives you to share the gospel with someone. Don't do that. Don't underestimate every moment that you have an opportunity to disciple someone, to share Christ, to share your testimony, to be simply a help to someone in need, to feed someone that's hungry, to take care of them, to go to their home, to visit them in the hospital, to simply pick up their kids when they're sick and they can't care for them. Don't underestimate those moments of community. Understand that because all that we have today started with that of a Gentile woman and Philippi by the name of Lydia sitting by the river because there was no church there. And I think we brush some of those moments off, don't we? 
we, we kind of discount some things because they don't have the fanfare because you're not on the stage with the lights up here and, and, and with the wheelbarrow sitting beside you, you know, and the band behind you. So you discount all those other things. Can I tell you, there's much more ministry. There's greater ministry that ever takes place in this place. There's greater ministry that takes place in Starbucks or around town or on your job or in the lunchroom or driving somewhere and talking to someone in your car than that will ever take place in this room. And it happens with a woman sitting by the river by the name of Lydia in Philippi because there's no synagogue built there. Isn't that an amazing thought? It is. Verse 16. I got to go. I got to keep going. It gets better. It does. It really does. And as we were going to the place of prayer, they're headed there to worship, that we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her own, and, and, and brought her own owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. You think, oh, that's a wonderful thing, but that's not really what we think she's saying. What she's saying is this, that Paul and Silas, they're proclaiming another God that's equal to the Roman gods, which is actually illegal. And, and she wasn't talking about the one true Jehovah God. And so that's the problem. And, and so it goes on in verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. I, I love that. It's not because and I command you to come out of her. And, and, it, and it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, not because of the spiritual issue, but because of the financial issue, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are, that's exactly what we just talked about, that are not lawful to us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And the third talking point this morning is this. God, are you sure you call me to Macedonia? Are you really sure, Lord? You know, is, is this what it's about, God? Because sometimes in doing the right thing, you seemingly, and I use that word intentionally, you seemingly get the wrong results. In doing the right thing, sometimes you seemingly get the wrong results because discipleship is both purposeful, yes, and it's also painful. It really is, yes. And in understanding God, what we realize or attempt to realize is that there's nothing that God does not govern or know about. None of this takes God by surprise. Understand that. That God understands the orbit of every planet. He, he knows the volume of water in every sea. He knows the grains of sand on every shore. He knows all of those kinds of things. So what that says to me is God is aware. It wasn't as if God turned his back. It wasn't if that this took God by total surprise of what's happening to them. That every time, listen, that every time you stand for justice... That every time you stand up for what is right and biblical, that every time you say no to the enemy and it seems that all hell is unleashed against you in this life, every time you are despised for being obedient to God, listen, understand this, God knows, God understands, God is with you and God is dialed into your life personally. He knows. He's so dialed in that he is so aware 
of two guys sitting in the inner part of the prison. They're beaten and they're bloody. They can't sleep for the pain in their bodies. So what do they do? They do the only thing they know to do. They begin to pray and they begin to sing hymns in community together. You say, Mark, you haven't read that part yet. I know, but I can't resist because I have to say that, you know. Is it what they're doing? They're singing hymns. God is so dialed into them. Understand that, that they're not forgotten. And then what happens Oh, I, I love this. Here's, or here's how this happens as God is so dialed into us. It's the very writings of Luke himself. He says in Luke 12 and 7 that God even knows the hairs of your head. They're numbered. Fear not, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. That God is dialed into your life. He's not forgotten you in the moment of imprisonment in your life. He is there. He's there. What are they singing? Well, they probably, they knew the Psalms to sing. So they're probably singing Psalm 139 and 16 in my imagination. Your eyes saw me unformed in my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. He knows the days that are shaped for us. Even the days when it's sun shining and even the days when it's rain. Even the days when we have a good day and a bad day. Even those days when we find ourselves in the innermost part of the prison. That those days are shaped for us for his glory. That will cause you to sing in the innermost part of the prison, beaten and bloody, and not knowing if you're going to get out or not, but yet you have praise in your heart because you know that God is dialed into your life personally and He is aware of you. He is aware of you. Psalm 1611 says this, that you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That he lays out our path even to, uh, even to Macedonia, even to the dark and the damp sail that they find themselves in the middle of. And what I, what I thought about this and I wrote in my journal this last couple of weeks as I was journaling through this text together, text is, is I wrote this, that freedom can... Freedom, so that they, they're locked in the jail so that freedom can come to the one who is outside of the jail. Because he's the one that thinks he's free, yet he's the real prisoner, not Paul and Silas. Because you can't lock up the Spirit of God. You can't. You can't shut it up. You can't keep it quiet. Because it's greater than any power or anything in this world. And nothing will stop the advancement of God's love and his gospel in this world. So I'm getting to the end of the story, but I have a question for you. And I worded it on the notes this morning, and I have to make another correction. My humanity. Instead of what, put a line through what if you have your notes and put who. Because I think that lines up more with the narrative of the book of Acts. Who is your Macedonia? Who's your Macedonia? Who is God sending you to? Well, Mark, I don't know a lot of sinners. Well, that's a problem right there, isn't it? Yes. Could we talk about that for a moment? Yes. Maybe you need to expose yourself to some. 
Who is your Macedonia? Who is God calling you to? Let's end with verse 25 through 34. Oh, it's a part that most, most of you know this part of the story. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. That we've said this before, that even the earth groans for Christ's return to make all things right. And so the earth cries out at times, and that's exactly what's happening. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He's not panicking over the earthquake because this area is known for earthquakes. He's panicking over the part that they've escaped or possibly have. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Paul is in the inner prison. How does Paul know that he's about to take his own life? It's the Holy Spirit speaking to Paul. It's exactly what it is. God, who is the infinite father and sustainer, creator of all the universe, is dialed in to a pagan jailer in the city, city of Philippi who is filled with such fear because he's afraid that he has failed in his task to keep Paul and Silas incarcerated. Never look at anyone in life. Never look at anyone in life and ever think that they're beyond God. Never. Because we all sit here as an example of we're not. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and Trembling with fear, he fell before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you know, it wasn't the earthquake that caused him to ask that question. What caused him to ask that question is the miraculous event that all the prisoners were still there with all the doors being open and all of their chains being broken. That was the thing that shook his very heart. Verse 31, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. The one theologian says that he washed and was washed, that he washed their stripes, and Christ washed his sins away. What an amazing thing. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. Because we find throughout the book of Acts that the grace of God is so many times simply manifested in that of gracious hospitality. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. And I know there's more to the text, but I have to stop there. But what I realize is this, that this teaching this morning... Oh, I had a list of so many ways that we could go with this teaching because there's so much here. That you could teach on worship and as, as you know, contextually or exegetically, it would be absolutely safe for you to do that because you could teach on worship, that of Paul and Silas in the jail and the concepts of worship in those of tough times in your life. Absolutely. 
You could teach on the leadership of women, and you could simply pull out Lydia from here. And it's such a powerful teaching that you could do that, how God uses, how God uses women. And he, does, he values us both male and female and, and, and does not distinguish between the two in that of leadership. So you could look at that also. Yet if you look at this text in the entirety of the book of Acts, what we realize is that this text is truly about community and unity. That here's God who takes three. He takes three. He starts with a team of Barnabas and Paul and John Mark at some point and Silas and Timothy and Luke. That everything is always done in community. If you see that, they're always going out together as a group. So it's truly about community and unity in that community. It really is. But he takes three in this city of Philippi. The gateway to Europe. The first is Lydia. A wealthy woman of commerce in the city, a seller of purple, the first European convert of Christianity. She, he takes a former fortune-telling slave girl. She's the irritant to Paul. She's Paul's human sandpaper is what she was, yes. And, and, and that's what God uses. He takes a Philippian jailer who is fearful, who battles with insecurity in his life because he's afraid of failure. And with those, God creates a church. With those, God creates a church in Philippi. Can I tell you something about this as as I finish? And it's this. Your history is history. Understand that. We all have it. Some of our history are a little more colorful than others. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. But we all have history. History is history. Just ask the former fortune-telling slave girl in the church at Philippi. Just ask her. Color, ethnicity is ethnicity. It was never given to simply divide the world. It was given, I believe, to bring flavor to the world. It's a church where millionaires sit next to hundredaires. Yes, it's exactly right. You have Lydia sitting next to the slave girl. That's wonderful. That's the church. That's the community of the church. And if church doesn't reflect that, then I have to begin to wonder if we're truly being the church. But understand this. Some of you define yourself in life by the things that have happened to you. Some of you call yourself a divorcee. And understand this, only God defines you. God doesn't look at you and say, oh, that's my divorced child. What God looks at you and says is this, oh, that's my child, is what it happens. Yes. Some of you define yourself by the sins of your past, the brokenness of your life. And so you refer to yourself in that light. And God doesn't see you in that because what God sees you in is simply the coverage of the blood of his son, Jesus, and his righteousness and his perfection. So when he sees you, he sees you as his child. He doesn't see this church that of Lydia, the former wealthy Gentile woman. He sees her as his child. He doesn't see a former slave girl. He sees that as his child. He doesn't see a Philippian jailer, but he sees that as his child. Understand that that's what the church is. 
It's not about titles that define us. It's not about those kinds of things that we box ourselves in. That we are God's children, all of us in different colors and different shapes and different backgrounds and different struggles in life. But we come together in community and unity to simply make the gospel known to those outside of these walls. That's the church. And if this church doesn't look like this church at Philippi, then we need to stop what we're doing and change directions. Because God takes Lydia, the wealthy Gentile woman, and God takes the former fortune-telling slave girl. I love this. I love the crew that God always puts together. Isn't it wonderful? And God takes a Philippian jailer who is fearful and insecure in his life, and he simply opens up the door of the gospel to all of Europe and to change all the world. And today you and I are sitting here as recipients of the gospel because of this. So don't tell me that the church is seen its day. And don't tell me the day of the church is over. And, and don't tell me that, that God is not using the church anymore. I disagree with you completely, absolutely, 100%. I hope I've stated that well so you know where I stand, okay? But I disagree with you completely, 100%, because I believe this is the brightest day for the church ever. If we will be the church. So when we come together... We're not Lydia's and we're not former slave girls and we're not Philippian jailers. But when we gather in this place, we are brothers and sisters. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Very human and inconsistent and messy in our lives. And at times we have differences and disagreements. And at times there might even be drama. But yet we never lose sight of our focus. And that is that God has called us to the Macedonias of our lives. So I challenge you this week to get in the wheelbarrow. I would sit in this right now, but I probably wouldn't be able to get out of it, okay? That was my plan, but I didn't realize how deep it is. But I encourage you to get in, to trust God. God has a good plan for your life. He does. That plan may not always work out the way that you think it would work out, but can I tell you, God's plan is always perfect. It is always perfect, always, 100% of the time. And there will be times when you say, God, are you sure that you wanted me to go to Macedonia? There are going to be those moments, but then you will realize that God has not forgotten you. That he is dialed into your life. So before we pray, I want to challenge you this week. 
as one of your pastors, I want to challenge you. Find that person that is the Macedonian in your life. Begin to pray fast over that. God, open the door. Whatever that person or who that person is or that opportunity that you have struggled with in stepping out in, I encourage you to simply jump in the wheelbarrow. Trust God. Trust Him. Because He will never let you down and He will never fail you. Could you bow your heads with me for a moment, please, before we sing? Father, speak to our hearts. Open our minds to you today. Father, we, we know that you have a plan for our life, but we struggle with the, the fact that is that plan good for us? And so it brings us back to really understanding who you are. God, we know from experience that we have stepped out in the past and sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we think it should turn out. But God, we know that you're with us. And in those moments, oh God, we grow in our faith and our understanding of you. And God, there may be times when we doubt that we are in the right place But God, we know that. We know that you never leave us. That you are always committed to us. And in those moments, we just lean into you. Because truly, God, isn't that what those moments in our life are really about? Those moments that push us to you. Because you are our loving Father who desires communion with us. So, Father, reveal to us by your Spirit in our lives the Macedonia of our life. And may we follow you. Not discounting all of our steps prior, because that's been a learning experience for us. But that we trust you. For whoever that is, or for whatever that call is on our life. we step out in community and make you known. Thank you, Father. Open our hearts this morning to your voice. May we hear you. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?